Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. You know, this verse from Ephesians has been going around in my mind over and over and over again over the last month or more. And uh, it is a, a verse that, that in which Paul is giving instruction to a local church on how important it is that unity is maintained among believers. You know, this message has been laid on my heart as a timely reminder about what the Bible is calling us to do in these divisive and at times adversarial times. And I want to say right up front, this is a message that God wanted me to hear first. And if you get a blessing from that, that that's, that's a bonus. But I know that God was speaking to me here. How do we navigate this time, these days ahead? Well, I think God wants us to hear and listen to his word to inform us in that. And he's clearly been teaching me a lot. You see, we are in a precarious moment as a church. In a precarious moment in society. But today is not so much about our society. It's more about how our our society is impacting us as a church and what our response should be. How can we honour God and be faithful to him and maintain unity through adversity? We are in a precarious moment. That's why I've titled this message, Unity Through Adversity, because it is such a precarious moment. And we could go either of two ways. We could hear and listen to what God wants to say to us through his word, through his revealed will, and become more unified, more loving, more gracious. Or we could let division enter and fester and separate our church. The stakes really are that high right now as we seek to navigate our path forward. We are in a precarious moment. Will we band together and not let division enter and fester and not let offence take hold and stand against the forces that are trying to tear us apart and divide us? Or will we succumb to division, succumb to offence and let our church split or or divide or, or be torn apart? We're in a precarious moment. Now, this verse in Ephesians chapter 4 in context begins when Paul says this. He says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then he mentions specific ways to do that. So grab your Bibles out, open them up if you've got them to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be hanging out there for the first part of our message today. So right at the beginning of verse 4 of Ephesians, he says, walk in a manner worthy. So, so what is that? Well, Paul says, with all humility. We're all equal. No one is inferior or superior to anyone else. And this was written to a church where cultural divides existed between Jews and Gentiles, but was not to exist in God's church. Everyone is equal before God. There was no distinction to be made for any reason. We're all equal. He then says, with gentleness. 
Now, I'm not sure if gentleness is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of me, because for me, I struggle a bit at times. I can be a bit brash and a bit harsh. It takes effort for me to cultivate gentleness. For others, it's natural and easy and just oozes from some people. You know those people, don't you? But the idea here of gentleness is is the opposite of self-assertion and someone whose emotions are under control. Meekness might be another uh, description. Gentleness has been difficult for many of us over the last 21 months because we're all on edge. And none of us have been unaffected by that. The last 21 months has been hard for everybody. And so one way we can help, help cultivate gentleness is to apply copious amounts of grace to everyone around us. And yes, I I need it as much as you do. And Paul then says, with patience. You know, patience is endurance even under affliction. When wronged, the patient person does not retaliate. As Barclay writes, it is the spirit which bears insult and injury without bitterness and without complaint. It is the spirit which bears the sheer foolishness of men without irritation. It is the spirit which can suffer unpleasant people with graciousness and fools without complaint. Can, can, can I ask you to be patient with me? As I will also be patient with you. But more importantly, can we be patient with each other in our church and be patient with our community? We're all struggling. Paul then says, bearing with one another in love. Now, this reminds me of the words of Jesus in John 13, 35, where he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, we are a loving church. It is part of our DNA. And long may we continue to show love one for another. So let's not let little things get in the way of loving each other as a witness to Christ above all else, if, if, at the very least. And Paul then says the verse I began with today, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Constable writes in his commentary on this verse that Christians must preserve the unity between believers that God has created in the church. Paul viewed peace as what keeps potential factions together. He had in mind peace between all kinds of diverse groups in the church the most basic being Jews and Gentiles. Peace between all kinds of divisive groups in the church. Unity between all kinds of diverse groups in the church. Now this verse teaches us that God had created unity between us through the Holy Spirit. Peace between all kinds of diverse groups in the church. And Paul then continues from verse 4 to highlight seven elements that unite believers in the church. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The one body is the church. 
the universal body of believers in the present age. The one spirit is the Holy Spirit who indwells the church as a whole and every individual believer as in the church. The one hope is the hope of the future that each Christian has and the whole and the church, whole church has. And this hope began when God called us to salvation. The one Lord is Jesus Christ, the head of the church. The one faith is the faith that each Christian and the whole church have in Christ. The one baptism is the baptism that unifies and unites all believers in the body of Christ. And all refers to all believers. And God is the father of all believers who are his children. And so in that regard, it's a sense of him being sovereign over us. These seven elements of our unity are what we should keep in mind and what should guide us through this precarious moment in time and what should bind us together in unity. But the question we must ask is this, what is trying to divide us? Well, I'm going to call out a few specific things that are trying to divide us so we can be prepared to fight for unity in the face of these adversarial items. The first one, it's on everyone's lips, COVID. I'll say it right up front. COVID is trying to divide us. It is a polarising topic. We don't need to go into details. We know them all. But it is a divisive force, or at least it's being used as a divisive force through the response to COVID. It's trying to divide us. And on this topic, can I ask that everyone put aside all of our preconceived ideas and biases, because we all have them. I have them. You have them. We all do. Can we just put them aside this morning and give attention to what the scriptures say and let the scriptures inform our thinking first? And it's really just so that we can be guided by the biblical principles, regardless of what any preconceived ideas or notions you have about COVID or any response to it. I'm not giving it a defence for either side, for any side. Just clear your mind. I'm, I'm preaching scripture. May that guide us above all else. Secondly, government is trying to divide us. Our state government here in Victoria is creating a two-tiered discriminatory society based upon a medical status. But really, politics in general is divisive. What is it? It's Labor versus Liberal, left versus right. Politics is a divisive force. Government is trying to divide us. What about wokeism? Well, that's a nice general um, uh, label uh, for an ideology that seeks to engineer society to conform to what were once considered extreme positions. And what it does is it divides people into two groups, or more than two groups sometimes, but into groups. It makes one of the groups the victim and then basically bashes the other group for being against that group, the victim group. We've seen this play out with gender wars, Black Lives Matter, same-sex marriage, transgender participants in women's sport, and the list goes on and on and on. Wokeism at its core is anti-creation and so is anti-God. 
God created the world and all that is in it and said it was good. Wokeism, though, rejects God's creation and order that he established and called good and instead seeks, basically seeks the opposite. Wokeism is trying to divide us. Media. You know, a long time ago, a long time ago, the media used to report a story that give both sides and let the viewer decide. You may have grown up with media that was like that, some of you. Some of you have not had the pleasure. But according to our current news and media organisations, it's just too dangerous to allow that sort of, you know, freedom to exist. And so they now pretty much only present stories and news items from their accepted narrative and tell you how to think about topics and issues rather than presenting both sides and giving you all the information and letting you decide. They pick and choose what to report and control the information they present as truth. This is a change from the past and may have snuck up on many. The media is trying to divide us. One little example of that was yesterday. There was a, a protest in Melbourne protesting the, the laws and the mandates right now. There was about, I reckon, 20,000 people were at. Not a single mention on ABC. Not one. Just one example. But really, Satan is trying to divide us. What do most of the, those four things I just mentioned have in common? Well, they lack truth. They seem to all be missing truth. They present something as truth, when in fact, it may in really actually be a lie. And who is the father of lies? Satan. Satan is trying to divide us. I'm not pulling punches here. God has revealed what his will is for the church, for his followers, to be united. And so anything that tries to destroy unity is not of God, and so can only be of Satan. It can only be sinful. COVID is being used to, to, to divide us. The government is trying to divide us. Wokeism is trying to divide us. The media are trying to divide us. We could go on and on and on. Satan is using all these things and more to try and divide us. He is the father of lies and the author of division. You know, Jesus was speaking with the scribes and Pharisees who would sow division and dissent regularly by making rules that would divide people and prevent some from worshipping God. And he spoke these words in John 8, 44. He says, You are the father of the devil, and your will is to do what your father to, your will is to do your father's desires. He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But in verse 31, Jesus said this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. God's word is the antidote to lies because God's word is the truth. 
The truth that Jesus is talking about is the truth of Scripture. God's revealed will for his followers. So what else does the Bible say about what we should do as followers of Christ as his body of the church? How can we be set free from division and lies and walk in a manner worthy of our calling? 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. That is a tough ask. Let me tell you that much. That is a tough ask because we have all got different opinions, different experiences, different education or knowledge bases, different backgrounds. It would seem that Paul is asking too much of us mere mortals in the local church. How can we agree with one another? How can we ensure that there is no division among us? How can we, as Paul says, be perfectly united in mind and thought? It is the reality that we will have divergent thought when it comes to COVID, for example. We have all made decisions based upon our own personal risk profiles and the information we've researched or come across or been told. But that divergent thought shouldn't lead us to division in the body of Christ. And the results of the survey that was sent out last week show that we all do value unity in the body of Christ. Those results were really encouraging to see. Nearly 95% of responses agree that a clear pathway forward was to maintain unity and not let vaccination status divide us. But there is divergent thought. Not divisive, but divergent. And the church in Corinth that Paul was writing to was divided. They were divided in three camps following three different teachers, following three different voices. Paul's instruction to them was to end division and be united. United in what, though? Well, he goes on through the first three chapters of the book to explain that we should be united in the spirit who gives wisdom and ultimately united in Christ. It is Christ that unites us. He ends the section in chapter 3, verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Let no one boast in men. Let no one boast in men. Not in Dan Andrews, not in Brett Sutton or Matthew Guy or Scott Morrison. The answer is to turn to Christ for wisdom and guidance and not to man. The answer as to how we can maintain unity is to be unified around Jesus Christ and his word, not around men and their words. We can be perfectly united in mind of thought if we humbly submit to Christ and his word. Psalm 133 verse 1, how good and pleasant it is 
when God's people live together in unity. That is a truism if I've never heard one. It is good and pleasant to live in unity. That is wonderful to live in harmony with God's people. You know, it is a struggle to live in conflict. Conflict is hard. And so it's important that we do not dwell on conflict and let that become division and let that destroy our unity because we are one in Christ. Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that divides followers of Jesus, not heritage, not status, not gender. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are equals. The greatest message of equality in our world is the message of Jesus, for we are equals. We are unified in Christ. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Now, this passage in Romans 14 is part of a larger instruction about uh, an issue that was causing division. That issue that Paul addresses in Romans 14 was food or meat, really. Some thought it was sinful to eat meat because at that time, much of the meat available to them had been sacrificed to idols. And so some thought it was sinful to eat it. Others, however, didn't think it was sinful to eat it. And Paul writes to give them instruction on this very divisive issue. And what does he say? Where does he line up on this issue? Let your conscience be your guide. If your conscience is telling you it is sinful, then for you it is sinful. However, if your conscience is telling you that it is okay, then for you it would be sinful to go against your conscience. Now, I'm going to do something dangerous and I'm going to bring this passage right into today's world and apply it to vaccination. Let me read it to you, although I've substituted Paul's words of food for vaccination. Now, you could also substitute any other divisive element here and hear what Paul teaches about whatever it is that's causing division. Today, it might be vaccination. Tomorrow, who knows what it might be. It might be that I've, you know, I've gone bald or something. I don't know, right? But you can substitute anything in here, whatever causes division. So... From Romans 14, verse 1, and I've just replaced a few words. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to be vaccinated, but another person believes with a sensitive conscience will not be vaccinated. Those who feel free to be vaccinated must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't get vaccinated must not condemn those who do for God has accepted them. Those who get vaccinated do so to honour the Lord, since they give thanks to God beforehand. And those who refuse to get vaccinated also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. If we get vaccinated, it's to honour the Lord. And if we don't get vaccinated, it's to honour the Lord. So whether we get vaccinated or don't get vaccinated, we belong to the Lord. 
So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of our vaccination status, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church, try to build each other up. Verse 23, but if you have doubts about whether or not you should be vaccinated or not, you're sinning if you go and do what your conscience tells you not to, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. It brings it home on this topic, doesn't it? What does the Bible teach about vaccination? Well, we can go to Romans 14 and find out. And it's a matter of personal conviction, of listening to our own conscience, which is informed and guided by the Holy Spirit. To disobey your conscience on a matter of personal conviction, Paul says, is sinful. So no one should be making judgment calls on anyone else for following their conscience and their personal conviction on this topic. If you've been vaccinated, we love you. If you haven't been vaccinated, we love you. You are the same. God looks at you exactly the same, and so should we. Each person is doing right by the Lord for following their personal conviction and their conscience. Colossians 2.2 says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Can this be our church too? Encouraged in heart and united in love? Let's ensure that love is what unites us. Love for God and love for each other. Because one thing that will divide us quicker than anything else in this is showing partiality. Speaks on this issue in James chapter 2. In verse 1, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James then goes on to speak about showing partiality to the wealthy people over others. And that could easily apply, as we did to Romans 14, we could just substitute um, the topic here as well. In verse, James, in verse 8, James continues, If you really fulfil the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, if we were to show partiality towards some people at the expense of others, it would be a bad witness to the love of Christ, which is for all. Love others as you love yourself. It's the old treat others as you would like to be treated. You know, no one wants to be excluded, so be welcoming instead. You know, no one wants to be shamed, so be accepting instead. Love your neighbour as yourself. Let love be our motivation and our guide. Now, some people think, and they might think, 
that as a church, we have chosen to show partiality to people of the unknown status over vaccinated people. But I want to make it clear, this is not the case. We have made the the clear decision that we will not choose to discriminate against anyone for any reason and prevent some people from being welcome to worship the Lord by choice. You know, this is a matter of spiritual leadership here and is beyond a pragmatic decision. It's a matter of biblical integrity for our church. Would you want to be part of a church that willfully discriminates against any group of people? On a philosophical level, I'm sure that your answer is no. But hang on, Aaron. Would you be saying the same thing if you were vaccinated? Well, I'm sure that there are people that are wondering that. Now, I personally am sharing my story for a purpose. I have chosen not to be vaccinated because I have a medical history of anaphylaxis to some ingredients in these vaccines, and so I'm at a high risk of injury if I take one. That's my personal medical information that I'm sharing with you today for a purpose. That purpose is that you may not know why other people take their stance, you might not have all the information available to you, and so to make judgments and to discriminate against people is wrong. Even if I had have had these vaccines, my approach to this issue would be the same because it's a matter of biblical principle. And I don't want the biblical principles to be thrown away here. And so we are in the blessed position that by having two services, we not only cut our risk of transmission in half, a fantastic unintended blessing, but between the two services of 9.30 and 11 o'clock, while these restrictions are in place, we can have 100% of our average attendance come to church every week. Everyone is welcome. And there is a place for everyone at church every week. Just got to book in online. 2 Corinthians 13 and 11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Yes, we may have divergent thought on issues right now. But let's strive to maintain unity through adversity. Let's strive to aim for restoration and joy and reconciliation. Let's aim to comfort each other, agree with each other, live in peace together with the blessing of God and by his love and peace. And let me close this message today with the words of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, which says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that right now, this moment of adversity that may cause division among us, Lord, I pray that where there is division, Lord, that would be replaced by unity and replaced by your peace. Lord, I pray that we would be sympathetic 
that we would love one another, that we would be compassionate and humble, and that through that stance of honouring you and your word above all else, Lord, that would not only be a wonderful witness to our community, Lord, but it would also bring hope to those in our church and those outside of our church, that we can be that voice of reconciliation and hope, one that is a voice of acceptance and love that does not divide people for any reason. So Lord, may you help us love one another, be compassionate and humble. I pray right now in your name. Amen.